Met fans, how you doing today? Wasn't our trip to Boston fun? Hasn't the past week or so been absolutely delightful? Well, if you're like me, you may actually be counting the end of the days, the days to the end of the season. It's gotten from bad to worse. But we kind of knew that with the schedule we had ahead of us. Uh, when we didn't take care of Pittsburgh, when we didn't take care of the Nationals, when we didn't take care of the Marlins... Uh, we knew this could be a long, long road, and it has become a long, long road. Now, for you fashion police out there, as I promised, I'll always wear a different hat. I have about 40, 50 of them. Of course, they'll be recycled during the offseason. You know, I'll wear one hat maybe seven times a year and a different shirt. I probably have about 200 shirts. So anyway, this hat here, remember those literally games they used to have? Yes. When uh, the Mets, I think they played the Phillies in 2018. Uh, these were the hats they wore, along with those blue and orange uniforms where everyone had their nicknames on the back. I'm trying to think, was it the Todd Father? I, I, Thor? And uh, I think Jacob the Grom just had Jacob or Jake or something. It wasn't out of the uh, wackiness that all the other ones had. But uh, yeah, that was that. And uh, today's shirt is the Jacob DeGrom All-Star Game shirt from 2015. Uh, you could tell I was a big Jacob DeGrom fan in 2015. I saw that man breaking through. And I think I just about bought just about every shirt that came out of Jacob DeGrom like five, six years ago. Now I have so many, I can't even buy any now because it's just repeating myself. And what is repeating himself? Well, it's the Mets. Another heartbreaker yesterday. I shouldn't say heartbreaker. They were just never in the ball game. And uh, unfortunate thing is Taiwan Walker flopped again. Yes, speaking of Jacob DeGrom in the 2015 All-Star Game, Taiwan Walker was our representative in the 2021 All-Star Game. Hard to believe, isn't it? Well, his rough second half took a turn into Uglyville on Wednesday as the Red Sox smashed his pitches to all quarters of Fenway Park. It was nearly a repeat of what the Mets witnessed from Walker two starts earlier against the Yankees, when there was talk that he was tipping off pitches and that a player whistling from the dugout was a pop possible signal. Now, that everyone pushed that aside saying, nah, they weren't tipping. He wasn't tipping off pitches. But who knows? Who knows? No one's ever going to tell you the truth when they're the opponent. Maybe the Yankees were onto something. But the difference this time was Walker didn't get to hang around for a redemption tour. He was yanked after just two innings in what became the Mets' 10th loss in 13 games. Yes, it's getting ugly. And they lost 12-5 to the wild card leading Red Sox, doing the crosstown rival Yankees no help at all. Now, at this point, it's almost difficult to remember Walker pitched to a 2.66 ERA in the first half and was selected to the National League All-Star team. Since then, he has pitched to a 7.74 ERA, mostly a testament to 20, get this, 20 homers he has surrendered since the All-Star break. And let's face it, he's just throwing too many balls over the plate. I think if I had an uh, ounce of talent, I could probably hit a home run off of him. He's given up way too many homers. And when you give homers like that, uh, you're just not going to win. 
says Captain Obvious and myself. Now, the Yankees, who were among the teams battling for an AL wildcard berth, would have welcomed the help from the Mets over the past two games. With the Mets, now get this, our record is now 73 and 79. I don't even, let's not even talk about first place for the wildcard. I don't even think we're going to have a shot at 500. And the Mets just couldn't be bothered. They were actually overmatched. And we can see the difference now between the playoff teams and the Mets after watching St. Louis. Uh, play against us after watching Boston play against us, our games against the Braves earlier. We're just not as good as these teams. The Cardinals, I mean, they're just way better than us. So we have to really reevaluate the team in the offseason, see where we're going to be headed with this. And we say we, we mean the Met fans, and I have absolutely no say in the matter. But Now over his two innings, Walker allowed six earned runs on six hits. And guess who got two more home runs? Yes, Kyle Schwarber. He has now has nine home runs against the Mets this year. And it was the third start in the past four in which Walker surrounded, surrendered at least five earned runs. Now, Walker, his night imploded in the second inning when the Red Sox scored four runs, extending their lead to 6-1. to one. Schwarber's second home in the game, a three-run blast, was the gun punch in the inning, and even then I knew it was over. And I just said, hope Keith, Ron, and Gary can keep me entertained the rest of the way. And they always do. Uh, the outburst gave Schwarber nine homers in ten games against the Mets this season. Now, it's ironic. He's done it with two different teams. The Red Sox acquired him from the Nationals at the trade deadline. But he was killing us when he was with the Nationals. So whether it's a, a divisional rivalry game or an interleague game, he's killing us. Now, Enrique Hernandez stroked an RBA double in the inning after Jose Iglesias had walked. The rally had started with Hunter Renfro and his leadoff double. Now, Schwarber homered in the first inning to give the Red Sox their initial run. And J.D. Martinez, I love to watch that guy hit, except against the Mets. He knocked in another with a single after a walk to Xandar Bogarts and a Rafael Devers single. The game turned ugly for the Mets in the third. Martinez and Alex Verdugo doubled in succession to greet Trevor Williams, extending Boston's lead to 7-1 before Iglesias hit a Little League home run. Iglesias tripled off Kevin Poirier's glove in right center, right field, and Javier Baez's relay throw to third was wild, allowing Iglesias to score. The Red Sox got their lead to 10 to 1 in the fourth. Oh my God, it got ugly early, didn't it? After Schwarber hit a boop double and scored on Devers' double play grounder. Now, Pete Alonso's second homer in his many games. Hey, he's been the bright spot. He's smacking those homers. Hey, maybe people hit 40 this year. That's something to root for while we're watching these games. A solo blast in the seventh inning highlighted the Met offense, and it was Alonzo's 35th home run of the year. So Pete has really turned it around, and he is putting up some slugging numbers. That is for sure. Uh, and we just had a couple comments after my little dissertation from one Facebook user says, the Mets need to regroup for next year. It's going to take a little bit more than regrouping. We have to actually examine what we're going to be doing the rest of the way, and the Cardinals won't be caught. It was funny you mentioned it because I was listening to uh, Sirius Radio, Steve Phillips, this morning. He said the way it is, it's going, the Cardinals may never lose a game. He said that sarcastically, but man, has that team per turned it on. And I knew with that core, with Arenado and Goldschmidt, and they just have good players at every position. And that, sometimes you don't need superstars at every position, but the Cardinals are just solid at every position. And yeah, call it mythical if you want, but the Cardinal way always seems to come to the forefront. They play solid, fundamental baseball. Year in, year out, you can count on the Cardinals, the Dodgers, the Yankees. 
to just have guys and they'll win their 80 minimum finish over 500 all the time. Always have winning years. And the Cardinals are one of those teams and they don't have the bankroll of the uh, Mets or the Yankees. So what they're doing is totally amazing. Now, what's amazing is, well, it's not amazing because we thought he would have been back like April, May, June, July. It's been going on and on. And then he got COVID. Well, Noah Syndergaard's return was just perfect Wednesday. So, yes, he did return. But I said he should have pitched an inning with the Mets because these games are meaningless until you're, well, they're not eliminated. So I could say, okay, you know, don't bring him up. But he could have pitched an inning for the Mets anyway in the major leagues. But instead, he did get his uh, first minor league appearance since resetting his rehab for a second time. Uh, the Mets right-hander retired all three batters he faced as the opener for AAA Syracuse. And I think that's what the Mets have to do with him. Just have him as an opener. If you're going to put him in a relief position, Thor is too much of a competitor. He'll blow his arm out. And he can't throw curves or sliders. So uh, just let him pitch as an opener if they come back. But uh, like I said, he, f he retired all three batters he faced as the opener for AAA Syracuse at Scr Scranton Wilkes-Barre. And he was replaced for the second inning by, remember this guy, Robert Gazelman. Yes. Uh, Jacob DeGrom White. <laughs> uh, never went. That's an old joke. So old, I won't even repeat it. Uh, Mets manager Willie Rojas has indicated that Syndergaard might pitch again for Syracuse in the coming days before rejoining the Major League Club, though our beloved Metropolitans, the bullpen, are possibly being used as an opener. Now, Syndergaard last appeared in the game for the Mets on September 29, 2019. He underwent Tommy John surgery in March of the following year and has been rehabbing ever since. I can't even remember what Thor looks like when he pitches. It's been that long. And his most recent setback came when he tested positive for COVID-19 in late August. And that really put the nail in the coffin for any type of momentum Thor could have gained. Now, remember this. Like, it, when you're this late in the season, you have to really think back. But back in June, the Mets were hoping Syndergaard would pitch. But that rehab assignment ended prematurely because of the right elbow discomfort. Syndergaard had been advised medically to limit himself to fastballs and change-ups for the rest of this season, avoiding his slider and curveball. Now, Jacob DeGrom played catch in the outfield before Wednesday's 12-5 loss at Fenway Park. Oh, in a perfect world, wouldn't it have been nice if we had DeGrom and Thor this year. And he's expected to throw a side session Friday in Milwaukee. The Mets will then determine whether DeGrom should face hitters in live batting practice before potentially activating him at some point in the final week for a short outing. DeGrom, who last pitched July 7th, is returning from a right elbow sprain that followed forearm tightness. And as we mentioned, Pete Alonso has been a beast. Now, he hit a solo home run going 1-for-5 to extend his road hitting streak to 17 games. Not bad, Polar Bear. And that goes back to August 16th. Now, over that stretch entering Wednesday, he was hitting 371 with 7 homers and 17 RBIs and a 1.308 OPS. Now, the franchise record is Jose Reyes' 24-game hitting streak, which was established in 2010. Now, I'm trying to get out the abacus. I don't think there's enough games for him to do that this year. So if he does it, it would have to carry over into next year if uh, Pete has any shot at breaking the uh, uh, road hitting streak that Jose Reyes set. Well, we got another comment coming in. The downfall of the Mets came, one, losing the ground for the season. I agree 100%. That was the biggest downfall for the Metropolitans. Two, no return of Thor. And uh, like I said, anything with Thor would have been a plus, and I really would have liked to have seen him pitch sometime this year. Uh, Robinson's Cano, Cano's missing presence in the lineup. 
And uh, he did have that one solid year with the Mets last year when they came back. So maybe he was back in the groove, but we'll see. And I, I have a feeling if he's just a DH next year, I'm assuming the National League will have a DH. Things would be better with uh, DeGrom, uh, Cano as a DH. So uh, he's a pure hitter no matter what. Even at age 40, you see these guys hitting. Look at, uh, oh, my God, what's the guy's name that hits all those home runs? Used to be a twin. Oh, my God, now he's in Atlanta. Oh, my God. I'm blank. Drawing a blank. And the massive decline of Michael Conforto. And I agree with you about Michael Conforto. This has been one year. This is it's not been a two month or three months. So I'm granted he's been hot the last month of the season. But he is at best, at best, just an average player. Oh, our Facebook user says Nelson Cruz. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you do know that Nelson Cruz was originally drafted by the Mets. Are you are you they? Now I feel like the Padres with all the players they've given up all the years. And uh, obviously Walker's second half collapse was awful. And I agree 100%. I didn't expect him to pitch the way he did the first half of the year. But no way did I expect him to pitch the way he did in the second half of the year. So whoever the Facebook user is, thanks for all those great comments. I appreciate it. And speaking of Michael Conforto, his massive downfall is what are we going to do with him? What? I mean, is he teasing us? Do we really, when you think about it, outfielders are probably the most plentiful asset you can get in the major leagues. Uh, I mean, look at Atlanta. They retooled the trade deadline with the right outfield moves. So uh, part of me always likes to root for these guys who are career Mets, and Conforto's been nothing but a Met. And he's brought up by the Mets and all the hype coming to the organization in 2015. I'd love to see him remain a Met, but you don't want to mortgage big money that could be applied elsewhere. And the other thing, too, is if we do lose Conforto and we do give him a qualifying offer, don't we get a number one draft pick? And the reason why I say that is with all the technology and scouting and advanced statistics, I think number one picks are becoming more and more valuable. They are panning out because of all the number crunching and scouting you could do now. But let's face it. Conforto never really got too hot in 2021, and nor did he get too cold. He never really went into a really big funk, but he never really was a great, I shouldn't say a, above average player all year. Uh, so these little in-between sensations that he teased us with, I'm not sure if that's enough to sell me on Conforto. Um, he's a decent, sometimes he fubs balls in the outfield. He's got a decent arm. He's not a bad fielder out there. So it's not his defense that's going to hurt us. What we need from Conforto is his offense. Uh, and we were waiting for, you know, he had his injuries too, just like everybody else this year. And I'm sure a lot of teams had injuries. I don't follow other teams as much as the Mets, but I'm sure every team suffered the injuries. I know the Yankees did and what have you. But Conforto didn't start Wednesday against lefty Chris Sale. It's sort of like Randy John with John Johnson with John Crook, you know, save his life, I guess. Uh, but the telltale sign there was McNeil and Nimmo did. Now, Nimmo, I said, is just an on-base machine. So even if he can't hit a tough left-hander, he'll scrape and fight. And McNeil's been so hot that I guess they left him in there because he is hitting so well. So I guess they didn't have confidence with Conforto yesterday. Uh, Rojas basically said it just wasn't a good matchup for him, so... Uh, what are you going to do? He has cooled off after a hot August, uh, which was his best month by far and away in 2021. And as 
Conforto's underlying metrics and some health and injury issues combined with the realities of the upcoming market might very well convince prospective suitors that he is not a falling stock despite falling production. Now, when it comes to free agency, I see 75% of free agent signings you make are horrible. So if someone wants to sign Conforto, they're taking a big chance if they're going to offer him big bucks. I believe his agent is Scott Boris. So if it is, you know, they'll dangle him up there until March or whatever. And I think the Mets really do have to make plans before then. I think the qualifying offer should be out there. But somehow I think a Boris agent is not, a client is not going to take a qualifying offer. So these are the scenarios, I think, for Conforto. The best case is he puts together a fifth consecutive season of stellar offensive production, qualifying for his second All-Star game. And galvanizing Met fans to rally for his retention. That's if he stays. Cohen gladly gives Conforto the Springer deal, matching the six-year $150 million package that the Blue Jays gave to Springer now bidding the Mets. And uh, probably the worst-case scenario for Michael Conforto is they've rode this track with him a while, and it still can't be ruled out altogether that he just isn't going to be the same player he was. Uh, you know... Should he feel compelled to take the qualifying offer and prove himself if he wants to be a Met? That's really up to him. But look what Marcus Stroman did when he did that. Marcus Stroman was out for the COVID year last year. Where he just didn't want to pitch during the COVID crisis. And look at the year he had. After the Grom, he's by far and away our best starting pitcher this year. So the reason why I bring up this analogy, if teams were not committing to Stroman long-term, would they commit to Conforto after the full season he had this year? Uh, he's only batted 223, 339 on base percentage with 367 uh, slugging percentage. And uh, I, 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 if I was another team, I would think there's other ways to build your ball club up. So I think the best case scenario is Conforto just prove yourself. But we'll see. Uh, the one thing I do like about Conforto is that you don't see this. And Daryl Strawberry was the same way. He has so much power hitting the ball the opposite way. Uh, and the strange part about that is I think he only has like one home run hitting the opposite way this year. And is that is not Conforto-like. Uh, so I think it's more or less a mechanical thing. Now, if you ask me, shouldn't the batting coaches be helping him out on that? Well, we've had two, and nothing seemed to work. So maybe we need to figure out what the batting coaches do for this ball club. Uh, but there are other free agents out there. There's Nick Castellanos, and he's likely to opt out. Now, he's not good defensively, but boy, can that guy hit. Uh, Starling Marte uh, and Conforto are probably the top-tier guys alongside veterans like Chris Bryant and Chris Taylor. Hey, maybe we get Chris Bryant. Who knows? Who knows? We were talking about getting him before the uh, trade deadline, so you never know. Uh, now, it's really going to depend on who takes over the operations of this ball club. Uh, if it's a general manager as a Conforto fan, they'll probably sign him. If not, it'll be adios Michael Conforto. So it's going to be interesting. You know, we'll be talking about that a lot here. Uh, Bruce Barron says Conforto's a keep. So Bruce Barron's, uh, I'm, I'm torn. Like I said, if he wants to sign a qualifying offer, I'm all for it. 
So we'll see what happens. Like I said, I'm not paid the big bucks. I'm sitting here in front of a computer and doing a YouTube and podcast. So we'll see what happens. Now, how about Francisco Lindor? We're getting to that time of year where we got to figure out how Francisco Lindor fit into the big mix this year. Well, I'll tell you, he was disappointed. I know he had a good year for a shortstop, but you don't get paid $350 million to just have a good year. You're going to be the guy to lead this ball club to the promised land, and it just didn't happen. Uh, and even when Dor came out and said yesterday that if not for his disappointing first season in Queens, the Mets might be leading the NL East or, or be close. Does that mean Francisco, you had to give someone the money back? No, I don't think so. You're just going to be a print warrior and say that in the print. But even when Dor said he felt they had a really good team coming into this year, uh, we collapsed and he hasn't performed, he said. And I know if I would have played a little bit better, I know we could have won at least five to seven more games, which we could be fine for first place right now. And I kind of agree with him. I'm not going to say five or seven. I'm saying he's probably good for three or five more wins. And does he blame himself? He said, let me think about this. I put a lot on me. So I admire Francisco for being honest. But the honest thing is, we got him for another 10 years. So hopefully this was just the bad year, the first New York's jinx year that most of these guys have when they come here for the first year. Uh, he, I love Francisco. I really do. But numbers are numbers, and he just didn't put up. But I do think there's potential. Do I think we overpaid? Yes. Especially since there's a lot of shortstops that were going to be out there last year and this year. And let's face it, Ahmad Rosario is probably having a better year than Francisco Lindor this year. I say that fast, Francisco Lindor this year. Uh, but he is, give Francisco credit, he's enjoying a solid September following his return from a straight right oblique that cost him more than a month on the injured list. But the shortstop owner, 230, 325, 403 slash line overall entering with 17 homers and 53 RBIs. His 728 OPS was within the league average range for all MLB players. So there you have it. He's having an average year. Is it worth 350 over 10 years? I don't think so. And like I said, they signed him to a 10-year contract. And I say 350 was actually 341 million. And that extension doesn't even begin for till 2022. So his 10-year contract doesn't start to next year. And I think if the Mets thought that he would be just average to play, they wouldn't have offered it to him. But coming off the first half of the year, it seemed like he was headed in the right direction. He looks like he felt better at the plate. And uh, he was turning around, just like Javier Baez. Javier Baez was putting up some numbers. The unfortunate thing is the Mets just aren't winning. So at first I was mixed about Baez, but my thing about that is, you know, I preach about first-round draft picks. We gave up Pete Crow Armstrong. If we gave up a number one who was number four overall for Baez, he is not meant to be a rental. If you made that trade for a guy who could potentially be a starting outfielder your 15 years, you sign Baez. We're committed to Baez, and if they don't sign Baez, I'll be disappointed. So, like I said, the one thing the Mets said they wouldn't do was trade away their top draft choices. They were going to build through the farm system. Well, they didn't when it came to Javier Baez in the trade, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh and Baez wants a win. I know that Lindor and Baez are emotional, and sometimes their emotions were worn a little bit too much on their sleeve. Uh, but his approach has been outstanding, and uh, he's not to blame for the September collapse, that's for sure. And uh, 
Bruce Baez says, Bruce Baez, Bruce Barons, I'm combining Bruce Barons with Javi Baez even says, they're a good combo, Lindor and uh, Baez, and I agree. Now, what are we going to do? We're going to wish some people a happy birthday from Met history. Who remembers Pete Harnish? Pete Harnish. Wasn't he a Staten Island, a Long Island boy? Yeah, he was born in Comac. It was his birthday. He pitched for us when the Mets weren't really that good in 95 and 96. Uh, pitched a little bit in 97 when they started to turn, turn the corner a little bit. Pitched 55 games with us. Had a 10-21 and 21 record, 4.33 ERA. And then the Mets traded him to Milwaukee for for Donnie Moore on August 31st, 1997. Also celebrating a birthday today, Gonzalez Germain, who pitched for us in 2013. Uh, altogether, 54 games, ERA of 4.31, all in relief. And he wore that odd number, 71 with the Mets. Who else is selling a breakthrough? Ah, Trevor May, our big free agent relieving acquisition new offseason. Uh, what do you think of May's this season this year? He wasn't the closer. He, I guess he did what he did. Got paid a lot of money. I think he's making over $7 million a year. So that's debatable whether or not he earned that money. But he was so far, he's 7-3 with a 3.68. And I like Trevor. He gets the job done for us. So no complaints there. Uh Oh, we got another Facebook user coming in. Da -da -da -da. Oh, my mistake. I misread it. Sorry. My apologies, folks. But what we want to do is go back to better days. And cheers to better days. Let's go back to September 23rd, 1969. It was the date the Masons guaranteed at least a tie for the NL East title. Now, Gil Hodges' first place Mets 95 and 61 hosted the previous year's NL champion St. Louis Cardinals, who are 82 and 73. Hodges' Mets took the field in the excitement, knowing that a win on this evening would assure them of at least a tie for first place in the NL East. 32,364 fans came to Shea as the Mets' Jim McAndrew, who was 6 and 7, went up against one of the all time greats, Bob Gibson, who was 18 and 12. Now, remember, Gibson was a 68 MVP and Cy Young Award winner, and he was just two wins away from his fourth 20-win season in five years. And those Cardinal teams were good. They were good back then. Here's the lineup the Cardinals put out there for this game. Lou Brock, left field, leading off. Kurt Flood, center field, batting second. Veda Pinson, right field, batting third. So you got Flood and Pinson who probably should get more consideration for the Hall of Fame. Joe Torrey, first base, batting fourth. Tim McCarver, Steve Carlton's caddy, batting fifth and catching. Mike Shannon, third base, batting sixth. Now a Cardinal broadcaster. I think this is the last year, isn't it? Julian Javier, second base, batting seventh. Dal Maxville, shortstop, batting eighth. And a tough righty, Bob Gibson, pitching and batting ninth. Now for the Mets, we had A.G., A.G., batting center, first and playing center field. Wayne Garrett, third base, batting second. Archamsky, left field, batting third. Ken Boswell, who, you got to respect uh, Gil Hodges. He loved Ken Boswell's batting. He had him batting clean up, batting fourth. The Crane, Eddie Cranepool, first base, batting fifth. Ron Swoboda, batting sixth. Right field, batting uh, sixth, I should say. 
Jerry Grody catching batting seven. Buddy, Buddy, everybody's favorite shortstop. Buddy Harrelson batting eighth and short. And Jim McAndrew on the mound. Now, during the game in the bottom of the third inning, Met shortstop Bud Harrelson walked. He advanced on a fielder's choice and scored on Wayne Garrett's single to right field. Now, the pesky Harrelson offensive numbers never showed how valuable he was to the team. He would scrap for hits, runs, or stolen bases, and he was just a team player. Now, tonight's game was another example of his value to the club besides just his all-star defense. The Cards took the lead in the fifth as Lou Brock scored on Veda Pinson's grounder, which was booted by Mets second baseman Kenny Boswell. Pinson would score on Joe Torre's base hit. Tim McCarver would then fly out to end the inning. It was the second inning in a row the Cardinals left men on base. McAndrew would retire the Mets uh, on side in order in the sixth and seventh inning, so Jim was cruising. And in the eighth inning, the Mets tied it as Tommy Agee singled to left and sacrificed over by Wayne Garrett. Archamski then singled, bringing in Agee. Now the game remained tied. McAndrew departed in the eighth as Tug McGraw came in for relief. He would pitch four innings. What reliever pitches four innings now? Well, I'll tell you who the Tugger. That was back in the days when relievers pitched multiple innings. That's when they were really relievers. Yeah, there you go. And he would pitch four innings, holding cards to three hits, shutting them out, earning his ninth win of the year to get his record to nine and three. Now, Bob Gibson pitched into the 11th inning. But wait, what was his pitch count? I don't know what it was, but he pitched to the 11th inning, scattering 10 hits along the way, striking out five and walking three. Now, Gibson was already an 18-game winner at this point, just coming off his fantastic MVP Cy Young Award a year, where he went 22-9 through 13 shutouts, 268 Ks, and a 1.12 ERA. Whew, that is amazing. Amazing as Casey would stay. But in the home 11th, after Ed Cranepool flew out to left, Ron Swoboda and Jerry Grody both singled for the Mets. Bud Harrelson stepped in and poked a single to left field, scoring Swoboda with the walk-off winning run. The amazing, yes, our amazing Mets now had a six-game lead and were guaranteed at least a tie in the NL East. Mets manager Gil Hodges says they are confident, but not overconfident. And that's what I like about Gil. He kept the perspective on for these teams that 6019. He was the perfect leader for that ball club. Now, here's a quote from Coach Yogi Berra from that day. No one else in baseball is as well set up for a short series as we are. How would you like to meet Seaver and Kuzman every fourth day? Ryan, McAndrew, and Cardwell can do the job, and our bullpen is about as good as you can get. This team is really amazing the way it stays loose. Everyone pitches in. It seems there's a new hero every day. And there certainly was when it came to the Mets. Uh, good times. Uh, here's another Facebook user. Before I go in, I always like to interject some comments here. Facebook user, until they get it right from the top of the organization on down, nothing else matters. Same for any business, and I agree. I agree. You need the right people running that organization. They have the bankroll now to do it, and they have to have the right people coming in. Conforto has the skills to be a great hitter, but like everyone else, his swing has launch angle tendencies. As for the Mets in general, if you keep doing the same thing, we all know what the results will be. And I agree with you. I think the whole Sandy Alderson era, he was just having guys with the launch angle. They were trying to be like the Baltimore Orioles, the late 60s and early 70s, and win with the three-run homer. 
but you have to be able to hit for average too. I'm sorry, you can't have Michael Conforto batting 210, 220. You just can't. Uh, and Bruce Barons is a Yankee fan, and hats off to Bruce that he's watching this broadcast. And I appreciate his comments on these. And Bruce, stay tuned, all you other people, when we have topics coming up on baseball life regarding the Yankees or anything else where there's enough conversation going on about it on the Facebook group, we will be talking about it here and on the podcast. So stay tuned for that, folks. But Bruce Barron's likes uh, emotions on his sleeve, and he wishes that Sanchez can play with that intensity. And he even Bruce even says he's a Yankee fan here, and I agree with you. It seems like when Sanchez just doesn't perform, it he just blase about it. I can't figure it out. Just can't figure it out for the life of me. Well, we kind of ran down what happened on this date in mid-history in 69. But let's go back to 62, our very first year as a Major League franchise. And on this date in 1962, in his first Major League start, 17-year-old Ed Cranepool gets his first hit, an eighth-inning double at the Polo Grounds in the Mets' 2-1 walk-off victory over Chicago. When the former James Monroe High School standout retires, he will, yes, Steady Eddie will be the franchise leader in eight offensive categories, including 1,418 hits during his 18 seasons with the team. He was the original Met that we everybody loved, Steady Eddie. Uh, on this date in 2008, Jose, 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 Jose. Okay, I see contributions coming in asking me to shut up. So I will no longer sing. Thank you for your contributions. So if you don't want me to sing, keep that money coming in. And on this date in 2008, Jose Reyes collects his 200th hit of the season with a bases-loaded triple and a much-needed Mets 6-2 victory over the Cubs at Shea Stadium. The 25-year-old shortstop joins Lance Johnson, who did it in 1966, as one of the only two players in franchise history to reach this esteemed plateau. Good, good stuff. Now, as always, we talk about what's going on in the group. And here's my PR pitch for everybody. If you're not a member of New York Mets Baseball Way of Life, join. If you're on Facebook, what are you waiting for? Look for us, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. Good content discussed there every day. If you're a member of New York Mets Way of Life or just listen to this YouTube cast or podcast, join our other sister group, Baseball Way of Life. We cover everything in the major leagues and great, great baseball fans on there. And please, please subscribe to this YouTube cast. It would mean the world to me. You'll be ordered every time one is scheduled, and you'll have the library of everything. Like I said, we do Mets every day, but I'll do whenever it calls for it. For the Baseball Way of Life group, I'll be doing YouTube casts too. So hop on board, subscribe, and uh, it would really be appreciated. And if you ever need to reach out to me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Would love, love to hear from you. Now, here's some of the stats that I'm throwing out there for you today that were discussed in the group. Since 2016, only three pitchers have recorded four seasons with 32 or more starts. Who are they? Rick Porcello, 2016 to 2019. Justin Verlander, same years, 2016-19. And Marcus Stroman, 2016-17, 19, and 21. Wow. Marcus is dependable. Another reason why we may need to sign him. And check this out. His averages from 2016 to 2021, not including the year he sat out last year, 30-game start, 173 innings pitched, a 116 ERA+. plus. So 
I'm looking forward to it. And don't forget, in 2018, he was actually injured. So he only pitched 102 innings. So you take that away from the equation. He's on average on like almost 190 innings per uh, year when he's healthy. And the good thing about it, he's become more economical too, has Stroman. Pitches per inning, 2018 were 16.68. 2019, he knocked it down to 16.53. Now he's got it down to 15.30. And he's 12th among qualified pitchers with the fewest pitches per inning this season. And to me, that's a sign of a good pitcher. You can pitch innings and not throw a lot of pitches. And here's another fun stat. Only two pitchers since 2016 have thrown at least 800 innings while having a home run per nine innings of less than 1.00. Who are they? Let's see. Look around. Look around at me. Well, I'll tell you what. You don't have to look any further than Flushing Mita Bay. And this year's roster is Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman. Now, we mentioned in the, earlier how Kyle Schwarber has nine, nine home runs against the Mets this year. The record for homers against the Mets in a single season is 10. And guess who had that? Willie Stargell in 66 and Dick Allen in 1968. I remember the good old days when the Mets won six in a row in late August and early September. Well, guess what their longest winning streak is since then? Uno. And number one is the loneliest number, as that song goes. And uh, we need to turn that around, this series with Milwaukee. Now, I mentioned a polar bear. He hit his 35th homer. That's multiple seasons, 35 homers for Alonzo with the Mets with 35 homers. Who were the other players to do it? Why, Dave Kingman, the Kong, did in 75, 76, and 82, three times. Strawman, 87, 88, and 90, three times. Hojo, 87, 89, and 91, three times. Mike Piazza, three straight years, 99, 2000, 2001. And Carlos Delgado in 2006 and 2008. Not too shabby. Now, for those keeping score, I sarcastically said, last night's game lasted three hours and 42 minutes making it the 10th straight game that has gone over 3 hours and 30 minutes. Oi, these are marathons. And not to hurt you Yankee fans, though, I mentioned that the Mets record versus the Red Sox is 0-4. The Mets record versus the Yankees is 4-2. So if the Yankees don't make the playoffs and the Red Sox get in, you might want to blame the Mets a little bit. Now here's what Thor did last night in his rehab assignment for AAA Syracuse. 12 pitches, 8 strikes. His fastball was 95 miles per hour, and his changeup was around 88. And he got three outs, a fly out, a ground out, and a ground out. So that was good to see. And closure is, if you don't want to hear this, Taiwan Walker stat. In the second half, 57 innings pitched, 49 earned runs, 7.74 ERA, and 20, get this, 20 homers. Oi. Now certainly his innings workload has played a big part in his regression in the second half of the 2021 season. 67.1 combined innings pitched from 2018 and 2020. So it could be just a dead arm. Some may think he's tipping off pitches. I don't know. But because of his downfall in the second half, he now has the largest discrepancy between ERA between the first half and the second half by a Met pitcher. His ERA in the second half is 3.17 higher than it was in the first half this year. Who are the other victims? And I'll give you their numbers Pedro Estacio, 2002, plus 2.21. John Main in 2007, plus 1.62. Frank Viola, 91, 1.56. And Tom Glavin in 2004, 1.46. So you can see this discrepancy for Walker is of historic Met proportions.
Now, like I said, Mets got swept yesterday. Now they've lost seven out of eight and are 73 and 79 on a season. And some of you may be glad that there's only 10 games left. But you know, it hits Chris Sale yesterday's pitcher very well. How about Francisco Lindor? He has a 429 batting average and 29 plate appearances and gets Chris Sale in his career. And that's the highest batting average for any batter that's faced Sale at least 20 times. Amazing. So, I love it when you could see that uh, Francisco can hit great pitching. Then I asked, because it was Wally Backman's birthday. I said, what's the first thing that pops in your head when I mention Wally Backman? Sam Giordano said, played hard, winner. Glenn Scher, big Ranger fan, said, Long Island Ducks manager. Vincent Martel just put a picture of him in a Ducks uniform. That said it all. And Rob Godomowitz says, booze. And then I asked, should Jeff McNeil, I did a poll, should Jeff McNeil be an everyday player in the 2022 Met lineup? A lot of you guys are shaking your heads. Two-thirds of you said no. Very interesting. And that's, like I said, that's some of the good stuff we were talking about in the group all the time. So please do join. We're on Facebook, New York Mets Baseball Away of Life, and please do subscribe to this YouTube cast. Now, as we do all the time, we bring out our Jeopardy and Trivia question of the day. Who is ready? Who's ready? Okay, you. I see, okay, I see who's out there now. Let me just check again. Make sure you guys are all checked in here before I go on here. Okay, got it. Perfect. Okay, uh, here's today's trivia question. Who hit the Mets' first walk-off home run in their history? Give a few seconds to think about that one. In the meantime, I'll give you the Jeopardy quote. Traded with Jamie Callahan and Stephen Nagosik by the Boston Red Sox to New York Mets in exchange for Addison Reed on July 31st, 2017. And he wore number 46 as a Met. That's your Jeopardy clues for today. I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to have a sip of my Joe here. I'm entitled, right? I've been yapping for a while. Uh, and here we go. Here is the trivia question for the day. Provided, by the way, of Harvey Porras. What a dedicated Met fan. I look at him as our senior expert on all Met history. He goes back as far as 62. So, Harvey, thanks for all you do for this group. His trivia question was, who hit the Mets' first walk-off homer in their history? Well, the correct answer is Hobie Landreth, who on May 12, 1962, hit a two-out, Two-run, ninth-inning shot after Gil Hodges let off single to win the game 3-2 to two in the first game of a doubleheader. Hodges hit the Mets' second walk-off in the second game, a solo blast in the ninth to give the Mets an 8-7 win and a doubleheader sweep. Craig Anderson won both games to improve to 3-1. to one. He then went on to lose 16 straight to finish 3-17. He was 0-2 in 1963 and 0-1 in 1964. So he ended his Mets career with 19 straight losses. That was his only Met homer. A few weeks later, he was traded to Baltimore as the player to be named later for legendary Met cult figure, Marvelous Marv Thornberry. And here's today's Jeopardy. Two clues traded with Jamie Callahan and Stephen Gosick by the Boston Red Sox to New York Mets in exchange for Addison Reed on July 31st, 2017. He wore number 46 as a Met. Who is it? Well, it's Gerson Bautista, 
And congrats to our good friend John Tierney, a group favorite, for being the first to get that one right. So, you guys are not the you guys amaze me with your trivia and baseball knowledge. I don't know half these things. I'm asking the damn questions. So anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for today. We do have no game today. Uh, I know there's NFL football on NFL Network. I you know Sam Darnold. I'm a Jet fan. It'll be fun to watch him run up another 300-yard passing game. I think the Phillies are on TV today on MLB Network. Even the Yankees aren't playing, so who knows what I'll be watching. Uh, whatever you do tonight, uh, enjoy. Enjoy. And like I said, if you ever want to hop on one of these YouTube casts, send me an email at philstn41 at gmail.com. Like I said, we do one a day for the Mets every day. And when a situation presents itself, we do them for baseball way of life too. Sometimes we don't do any if there's no current hot topic that people aren't really steaming about. But if there's multiple, we even may do multiple baseball way of life broadcasts too. So that's it for today. Uh, it's supposed to rain, so stay dry in this area. And if wherever you are in this great country of ours called America, enjoy your day. Check in tomorrow. We'll be back with some more, as Chuck Barris used to say, more great Mets stuff. So thanks again for watching. You guys mean the world to me. And we'll talk again tomorrow. God bless you. Jumping in their seats.